Welcome to um, Tribe. This is the God's Favorite House midweek um, service, uh, Bible study, and um, we have tagged it Tribe. This is um, James, the book of James, part 12. We've been on this journey. Uh, I mean, of course, we're on part 12. You know that we've been on, a, been on an amazing journey. I want to say welcome to uh, our old folks and everyone that is joining us for the first time, we're excited to have you here and our online pastors will be reaching out to you. Kindly indulge them by um, providing your details so that we can always connect with you. And we pray that as the Lord transforms our lives um, in light of his word, he will transform your life as well in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, we'll get right into it. Uh, I will read um, the, the passage of the scripture we have today, and that's reading from James 5, from verse 1 to verse 6. Um, just follow along, or if you have your own Bibles where you are, it should be on the screen, actually. Um, CMM will put it on the screen so you can read along. I'm reading from the NLT version, and it says, Look here. You rich people weep and groan with anguish because of all the ter terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eating rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Wow. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest, who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. See, this is one of those um, passages of scripture that um, can be misinterpreted or taught in, in error. Um, at, first glance, at first glance, it sounds like um, Apostle James, or Brother James, if you want to call him, is... Um, um, is anti-wealth or pro-poverty, pro if you want to put it that way. It seemed like he had a bone to pick with wealthy people, you know, to the point that he was just jabbing at them and all that they, they stand for. But when you read with understanding, you see that James wasn't talking to just any wealthy person. You know, he was addressing a certain kind of uh, people with access to wealth. And, and those people are, are those people, people that have modeled up the purpose of, of wealth. It was addressing those people that have confused the reason why 
they have money if you want to put it that way and, and these are people um who do not really know the purpose for the wealth that they control a lot of people that fall under this category those are the like you put it there the the selfish the the squanderer the the hoarder the oppressive, the mean-spirited, the hard-hearted and corrupt all fall under this category of people that um, Brother James was talking about. So it begs the question, what is the purpose of, of wealth, you may ask? What is the purpose of wealth? Because these people obviously are um, confused or modeled up the purpose of, of the wealth that they had. Um, if you ask that question, or if you that question has um, sort of excited something in you, then you want to go to the gold and silver series that um, just concluded. We've been looking at the gold and silver series in, in God's favorite house. If you are new here, uh, you want to go from season one, if you are able to. Um, we, we have an amazing um, resource around that you can go on um, the www.gfh this channel if you're watching on youtube um, gfh youtube or you go to our podcast and you have um, access to all, all that resource but recently pastor answered this um, purpose of wealth in by looking at second corinthians um, 9 8 for me and so that that answer was that the reason why we should have wealth is so that we can have more than enough to meet our needs and so we can also share with others. That's ultimately um, what that verse, Second Corinthians 9, 8, answers as the purpose of wealth. So it was, it was saying so that more than enough to meet our needs, right, and plenty left over to share with others, not necessarily our wants. Need there is, is a deliberate word. Not more than enough to hoard, like these guys that were, were hoarding, and then it became a thorn in their side. Not more than enough to squander. Again, you see there were squanderers in these um, people that um, Brother James was addressing, and not more than enough to oppress. You also see that there were people that were oppressing workers that refused to, um, refused to pay their workers. So wealth has a, a purpose, yes. And now that we've established that truth, we've gotten that out of the way, the next question we need to wrestle with is, why do you want to get wealthy? Why do I want to get wealthy? I, again, naturally, Tribe is an interactive session, so if you have questions, um, please put it out on the platform you're watching on, and the online pastor will address those questions, and we'll be able to answer them later on when um, pastor comes up, comes up, comes up on um, the service. And again, it's an interactive session when we used to have a physical. So it means that you can also put down notes, something that we, uh, you can also go back to, chew on, and develop on, do your own research on. So why do you want to get wealthy? Be honest about that. Why do you want access to more than enough that you have now? Why do you have, want access to more than you have right now? It is important to answer this question before you stumble on or make wealth. I, I use the word stumble there because some, some people will stumble on, 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 on wealth. Um, while some other people will engage the mindset and practices like we have been taught to create wealth. So for example, someone you can say stumbles on wealth is someone that wins a lottery. If you win a lottery, you would have stumbled on wealth. 
But if you've been uh, maybe an entrepreneur or you're a worker and you've been practicing the um, the mindset, you've been, I mean, engaging the mindsets and the practices that we've been taught, I can't go through all that now because of time. Of course, you will become wealthy even if you're not wealthy today. You're already on your path to, to wealth. So it's crucial to answer this question before um, you, you make wealth or stumble on wealth. Otherwise, you will abuse it and, and find yourself in a worse off situation uh, than before you, you got money. We've heard countless of stories that of people that have stumbled on wealth and, and became broke in a, in a few years. And as Miles Monroe, um, um, popular author and speaker, uh, late now, Blessed Memories, wrote, he says, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So why should heaven trust me really with all that wealth? It's a question you want to wrestle with, write it down somewhere. Second Timothy 3.16, if CMM can also help us put it up there, you know, but I'll just um, bring out the context of what it says. It tells us that scriptures are God-inspired for to teach us truths, to rebuke errors, to correct faults, and to give us instructions. Instruction is a word I want us to underline. Instructions or training of what God wants us to do. So if um, scripture is to give us instruction, it means that the scriptures also concerning wealth or money is to give us instructions on what God wants us to do. So apart from a strong rebuke for a certain kind of people uh, that we classed into that category, this um, chapter, this passage that we just read, you can also say it's a passage to one or a checkpoint so that every wealthy person, if you're wealthy and watching me right now, this scripture is also to serve as a checkpoint or um, a warning to help us, wealthy ones, you know, to stand well, like they say in our local parlance, so that we don't drift, so that we don't drift from who God has called us to be. And who has God called us to be? God has called us to be stewards, you know, or governors of wealth. And again, if you're new to Gospel House, you also have resource. Pastor talked about drifting. The, the, the danger of drifting is that you don't really know immediately when you begin to veer off course. It's only over a period of time that you know that you have drifted originally from the course. So you probably had started out well. This scripture is also to help you, put you in check. Two Sundays ago, like you said, we concluded that series on um, gold and silver, and we're giving a robust foundation on the understanding of more, uh, understanding of wealth and how our wealth works. So again, if you're new, go and refer to those resources and you will be richly blessed. Now, we learned in the concluding part of that um, series that money, which is the part five, that money is not, um, is not um, spiritually neutral. Spiritually, money is not neutral. And Pastor taught us that money provokes affections, you know, that can be at variance with God. And in fact, I, 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 I love the example you used about seeing money and how we would react to it, you know. And I began to think to myself, you know, in, in the past, I've seen smaller amounts of money, you know, at certain times in my life, and I've reacted differently at other times. You know, give me an example. 
back in the day, you don't want to test me with 100 bucks on the floor as a, a student, you know? After using my, my transfer fare to buy buns and fish, then I'm, I'm walking and I see 100 naira on the floor. No, 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 no. You don't want to test me that way, you know? And there, there are other times, you know, when I, I thought about it, that there are other times that I've seen money, of course, not now as, as a full-blown adult, a believer, trusting God, you know, for my means. There are other times that I've seen money, you know, substantial amounts of money, in, even, in, even outside the country, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's safe to say, I didn't pick those ones. It's safe to say that I, I began to wonder, is that Otokoto trap? You know, if you're, if you're not Nigerian, Otokoto means juju. You know, is that because where we come from, you probably don't understand the spiritual like that. Where we come from, different things can happen. You know, you probably can see that kind of money and touch it. And who knows if you'll be vomiting money. So I don't see that money. I'm like, you know what, I won't touch. But weeks later, I'm still... You know, the village meeting is still holding in my head, wondering, ah, that, that money forfeits really. That money could have sought out something, you know, something small at the time. But, you know, what today, 10K USD, like Pastor put it, 10,000 USD, you know, is what? Over 5, 5 million naira in our local currency. If I see 10,000 USD lying there, of course, I will stop and I will wonder. But I'm glad to say that not only will I pick it, right? I'll do the needful by handing it over to the authorities so they can get to his rightful owner confidently. Because, I mean, the things I used to do, I do them no more. You know, So I've gotten to that place where I, am, I, I now have grown to trust um, God as my, my source, you know, there's a video I'd like us to watch, and then we'll take it up after the video. CMM, please, can you help us with that short video, please? Ah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had a good laugh watching. My favorite character there was the black guy, you know? Like, oh, what just happened? I had a chance of a lifetime, a blind man with all that money. All I'm seeking now is also $100. This guy is telling me about Nico. Who cares about Nico? You know, so, yeah. So, you see... And then not talk about the brother that first just carried one, you know, cargoed it up first, you know, after all, what's, what's one bond to a guy with plenty of money? So you see, spiritually, money is, is not neutral. I'd like to add another um, layer to this, and that's the fact that money is amoral. Money is amoral, meaning money doesn't have moral sense. Money, money doesn't think for itself. It doesn't concern itself with the rightness or the wrongness of something, hey, drug, drug, drug dealers, you know, have lots of money from selling drugs. And the money doesn't say to them, hey, Oga, don't sell drugs tomorrow. As a matter of fact, they've gotten so used to the, um, the, the lifestyle that the money fuels that they just, they just go on. Not talking about, what about a prostitute? Does the money tell the prostitute, hey, you know what? We can't do this one more night. No. So... Money is the, is the user or the person that has the access to the money that tells the money what he, he wants, wants the money to do. Money can never act on its own. It requires us to tell it what we want it to do. So Apostle Paul is speaking to us through this passage about the stewardship of wealth, about the stewardship of wealth. In fact, some translations like the NLT captions that um, passage 1 to 6, the warning to the rich. You know, I saw different kinds. Another says, 
um, um, wanting to, uh, wealth management, different kinds of um, captions on what that uh, verse, that passage of the scripture actually means. So let's do a quick test on our stewardship, on our stewardship. What, two simple questions. So the first thing I, I want us to do again, we said this is interactive, right? How do you treat people that you feel or assume um, you can't get financial gains from? How do you treat them? People that you know cannot give you money back in return, but you usually can give them money or you can't give them money, but they're in your life. Though you can't give, I mean, there's no way they'll be able to give you any money in return. So what that means is that your, your hands, your hand is the hand on top in some cases, or in other cases, it's just that they're in their life and they, they give you money, you know, right? So some people give you money, but there are some people that can't get anything from. In that case, you are the only one, you are the giving end, yet they are the receiving end. How do you treat those people? Those are the receiving end, you know? I, I want to put another layer on that question. How do you treat people um, you, you assume you can gain much from? So this is not just talking about money now, because there are people in our lives that we do not receive direct financial gain from return, but their, their wisdom or their connection or influence can be game changers. So I'm not talking about not those ones. I'm talking about the ones that you do not gain financially from, and they, I mean, they do not change any game, no game. <laughs> how, how do you treat those ones? Those are the ones that pastor described um, in the teaching of good and civil as the, you will always have the poor amongst you. <laughs> How do you treat those ones? Mm. When they leave your presence, when they leave our presence, what memory do they have of their encounter with us? Remember, we have also been taught that people will never forget how you make them feel. You will never forget how you make them feel. Not necessarily what you said. They probably forget. But how you make them feel. If you make, if you make a man small, when he leaves your presence, he will never forget. And you know, someday, it may actually become financially big, and it will keep replaying the said. So that's the first um, um, question, um, tests of stewardship. The second one I wanted to bring, so these are very simple things, you know, probably heard them before. But again, I've learned and I'm beginning to really, really appreciate the fact that the simplest lessons are the strongest lessons. The second um, test is, how is your mood when you have access to lots of money versus when you do not have money? How's your mood? This question is a fantastic question to ask a, a husband about a wife or a wife about a husband. Can people around you simply tell by your behavior or your disposition that, man, this guy no hold right now? Perhaps um, when, when you have money, you know, that is when uh, your wife doesn't have sense again, <laughs> you know, or um, she don't know her mates, you don't know her mates. <laughs> You know, or for, or for the woman, maybe when some kishi enters the hand, that's when the man becomes a shameless man. How does money influence or affect your mood? The point is, when we honestly evaluate ourselves, we should document it. And documenting your answer can help you correct a fault, you know, or take urgent um, action where necessary. Personally, I believe my greatest temptation when it comes to stewardship of wealth is not when I have millions to play my governors of wealth um, commitment. No, 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 no. 
because I mean I'm saying honestly this is my story the the child my challenge and test of stewardship when I have you know when you just make that 100k 100k like that you know and then I need to pay governors of wealth you know <laughs> that one is my challenge I'm looking at the funds and I'm saying by the time I finish being governors of wealth what is left sir you know, especially when you have those those small, small bills that I like to call little foxes. You know, if you know those bills, those little foxes that just take another 10K, 5K, sap out the whole thing. You know, when you have those ones dancing around, I, I, I begin to logicalize. But God has been faithful every single time as he continually meets my needs and helps me overcome those temptations. So perhaps your experience is like mine or, or the converse is the case. Maybe yours is, um, is a test of the mega millions that hit your account and you begin to logicalized that the God said we should pay 10% tight again. <laughs> Did he really say 10% tight, you know? And then you begin to listen to people that call themselves daddy and they confuse you some more. The fact is, I would like to remind you that God is as and always is faithful. Because he is faithful, he expects us, the stewards of wealth, to faithful to be faithful as well and if you want to sustain wealth right you must understand the principle of faithfulness when you are faithful he will show himself faithful he will show himself faithful no matter what you are i mean in any situation financially that is talking about finances he will show himself faithful so moving on verse 3 it says, and I read, Chairman, please, can you put it up, verse 3, read verse 3 now. It says, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. This is saying that the stored value of the wealth without purpose is dropping fast. You know, we talked about your wealth should have purpose. Brother James is saying to us here that if you store that value, that wealth you think you have stored, you know, that is not with purpose. It's, it's losing its value, it's dropping fast. You know, all these people that fall into this category that we mentioned earlier, right? All these people that stored wealth for themselves, you know, at best, their wealth was transient. I mean, their wealth is transient, nothing else. No lasting value. And, and as the quote says, some people are so poor, all they have is money. They're so poor, all they have is money. In fact, not only did their treasure not have a positive impact on their future, it's saying from this scripture that their, their treasure is actually endangering their future. It says it is corrosive. It says this corroded treasure you have hoarded, where your wealth now becomes a danger to you. May your wealth never become a danger to you in Jesus' name. In Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Jesus taught us to stop hoarding earthly treasure. Same you can put up that scripture as well. I'm, I'm, I'm um, taking out my thoughts from the Passion Translation because he used that word hoarding, Matthew 6, 19 you know, and 20, Jesus was saying in the Passion Translation that we should stop hoarding earthly treasures and material wealth. 
Why? Because they are subject to total loss in value. That is profound. Get the Passion Translation, bookmark that. It says we should stop hoarding earthly treasures and material wealth because they are subject to total loss in value. And in that era, when Jesus was speaking, treasures meant fine clothes, gold, jewels, um, 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 expensive spices and oils, polished armor, generally stuff like that. You know, Jesus was saying to them that, and like he's saying to us that those luxuries, those things that we heard, uh, you know, for personal gains are subject to deterioration and theft. So how sad will it be to all we do is hoard and at the end of the day we, we, we lose that? You know, that, that's re really sad. So, but he was saying, do you want to have lasting value? Of course you want to have lasting value. Of course I want to have lasting value. He says then we should establish and maintain, right, our heavenly account. We should establish and maintain our heavenly account. That's what he's saying to us. I mean, I'm paraphrasing right now. When he says you should maintain it in heaven, that's opening and heavenly account. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, if you're an adult, you're watching, you know about opening an account. You walk into a bank and say you want to open an account. They open an account here on earth for you, right? You begin to earn interest on the funds there. Or if you do um, a fixed-term deposit or you do a treasury bills, you earn some, some, some interest on that as well. If you buy shares, right, you get a dividend. What he's saying to us is that by opening, establishing your heavenly account, you are lending to God and you are funding his costs. And these, right, were um, part of the um, practices that we were taught in the gold and silver series, right? And, and that's just a beautiful offer. Because when I give to the poor, I've been taught that I'm lending to God, right? So I give to the poor, I lend to God, my, my heavenly account is in surplus, not only is my heavenly account the surplus, guess what? I get to receive some interest here on earth. Beautiful. Beautiful. Then if I, if I partner with God, when I fund this course, right, by partnering with God, I, I'm in partnership with the greatest investor in the universe, in the whole wide world, the greatest investor of all investors. You know, and not only do I not have a stick in heaven, I have dividend payouts here on earth. I mean, when you put it like that, because that's how I put it right now, it's, it's exciting to think about. And I'm grateful to say, you know, I stand in, in all honesty, that I, I lend to the poor. So I, I lend to God, that, I mean, yeah, I give to the poor, so I lend to God, and I, and I partner with him. I'm a governor of wealth. And he has told me that I will govern territories to be assigned to me. Hallelujah. I see territories being assigned to me. I'm not where I want to be right now financially. But, you know, one of the ways I know personally, and this is my personal conviction, that God, you know, really is, is fulfilling his word in my life. One of the ways I know that because I, I, I learned and I, and, I, and I partner is that for years, right, for years, when I hear people say they're treating this ailment, they're treating that ailment, I don't treat those stuffs. Of course, apart from when you go to the hospital to do checks, I don't treat those. He rebukes the devourer for my sake. He, review, he rebukes them. Devourer, don't chop. I mean, going to the hospital for some kind of ailments, for me, I just think it's a devourer. I, I, I don't battle those. And God is faithful to his word. Again, if you have questions, please remember to send them in. And we, we hope you can make it as interactive as we we can so question now is what are we doing you know the end part of that um 
well, verse we just read says that the, the world they hoarded is standing against them in judgment. So question is, what are you doing? What are we doing that can stand for us, you know, speak for us against any kind of judgment? What are we doing? Two scenarios come to mind, right? The first one is Lazarus and the rich man. Or the rich man and Lazarus, you can find that in Luke 16 from 19 to 26. We don't have time to go into that right now. But I'll give you a brief synopsis, you know. A rich man who was described to have had expensive clothing and an opulent life. That's another verse, that translation. So check it out. Expensive clothing and opulent life. Sounds similar to what Jesus was saying. Sounds similar to what Brother James was saying, right? Good. He says, this guy had a poor, afflicted man named Lazarus just living outside his gates, you know? But while he was grooving and living a life, Lazarus was there. Long story short, they both died, you know? So... Lazarus, the poor man, one time, first thing that jumped out on me is that Lazarus, the poor man, had a name. The rich man didn't even have a name. That's a shame. <laughs> he didn't have a name. So, again, some people are so rich, so poor, that all they have is money, no name, no value, no real influence, just known as the rich man. So, it's just statistics. So, but Lazarus had a name. They, when these guys died, right? When he mattered the most, the rich man didn't have anyone to speak for him. In fact, he begged when he was burning and in pain and anguish, he begged that Lazarus should just give him a drip of water. Well, he was denied. And that is so sad because all the time he had here on earth, when he could have been lending to God, he refused to for whatever reason. That's, that's a horrible place to be where nothing can be speaking on your behalf. We'll get to that. I know somebody might be saying, but the blood of Jesus, we'll get to that in a bit, right? Second scenario that comes to my mind is in Acts 9, 36 to 42. This time it's about a woman and her name was Dorcas. You know, Dorcas possibly a, a woman of, of means because the scripture tells us that she was full of good works. So she was, she was doing stuff. And when she died, the people she had helped, you know, that she had been lending to God for, I mean, helping the poor, lending to God, they raised their voices on their behalf. They entreated Peter, you know, the, the man of God, to intervene. And she was brought back to life. That is profound. She had things to speak against judgment, you know. What Dockers was doing, whether she had little or much, mattered much to others and it mattered much to heaven so much so that they sent her back you know the, yes people were petitioning but heaven sent her back by the fact that the world is broken right of course that got to her she became sick so she she learned so much to god that even though the world was broken and she had to go heaven had no qualms altering the the the, the, the game of the book altering the the play in the book for for her sake just to send her back so that she can continue to be in play. Now contrast the life of Dorcas to the personality described in, in James 5, verse 4 and 6. Say, man, please put up James 5, 4 and 6. Let's contrast Dorcas's life to the life of the people, um, the rich people, so to speak, the wealthy people um, described in James 5, verse 4 and to 6. Just, just... Compare. These ones in this verse, right, they are called, they are, they are the ones that scheme, you know, these ones are, they are, they are comfortable ignoring uh, a worker who hasn't been paid, you know, without even losing sleep. 
the, the these are the ones that they overindulge and they lack contentment to the point that they want to take other people's own to add to their own. These ones are the unjust, they are hard-hearted, you know, the cries of a poor man can't even mean anything to them. They, they are mean-spirited, they are, they are oppressive. And guess what? The last part is so troubling. I try to um, meditate, ponder on that part. They can ruin other people's lives. They have no qualms ruining other people's lives. Verse 6, verse 6, go to verse 6, that last part. They have no qualms ruining other people's lives. They kill in an instant for the sake of, of, of money. So someone once told me, jokingly, yeah, jokingly, right, that he likes to owe people so that they will be praying for him not to die. <laughs> and he said to me, I, I, I mean, I laughed at first, but as funny as that may sound, it is actually in direct conflict with what, what God's, God's word says, because verse 4 says that the wages of such people, I mean, I pray there's no one with that mentality here, you know, the wages of such people in the pocket of the one that is hoeing, is, you know, is crying out vengeance. It's crying out on their behalf. And it says that their cries have come to the ears, their cries have come to the ears of, of the Lord of hosts. And someone will now say, I, I plead the blood. I plead the blood, like we're saying. Meanwhile, you're holding other people's livelihood in, their bank, in your bank account. Their children are probably sick. You know, their wife probably needs money. That is using the principle, principle wrong. The blood covers the multitude of sin, yes, but it's not a license for wickedness. The blood is not a license for hard-heartedness. The blood is not a license for cruelty or oppressiveness. No. You cannot be willfully wicked and pleading the blood of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content, not complacent with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. So contentment really is the key to how we see and handle wealth. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Hebrews 13.5, same way you can leave that scripture up. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Papi also did justice, you know, to um, the contentment mindset. So again, I recommend that you go back and listen to um, season three of Gold and Silver, you know. And yes, for our for our guests, this is just to whet your appetite to what we enjoy and what is transforming our lives. And I pray that you visit our archives uh, as we invite you to come and feast. However, I want to end by, you know, simply adding this um, this evening that contentment is beyond being happy with who we are and what we have. Contentment is rooted. You know, I, I was thinking that we'll talk a little bit about, I have our pastor talked about, but there's no time for that right now. Contentment is rooted and grounded in God's love for us. I want you to remember that. Maybe write it somewhere. Contentment is rooted and grounded in God's love for you, Richard. God's love for you, Buki. God's love for you, Stephen. Whoever you are, contentment is rooted and grounded in God's love for you. You know, Pastor Ibami captured it succinctly, beautifully last week, you know, and I paraphrase when she said, God is more interested in your success than you are when you know that is and you know like you know like you know that god is more interested in your success than you are that he loves you to succeed of course you'll be contented so 
that 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 contentment should make me imbibe you know that mindset that makes me actively decide to completely be satisfied in Christ whether I have a lot or whether I have just a little at, at different seasons in my life whether you have a lot or, or a little at different seasons in your life because you know that God is interested in your win of course you'll be satisfied and you'll be content so with that let, let's let's bring Papi on right now Papi good evening Pa Hi, good evening. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you always. Um, well done. Amazing. Amazing teaching. Thank you, sir. Learning from the best, eh? <laughs> from the best. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, I'm just going to peep into um, my notification to see if there's any question. But, of course, I have my my own question lined for you, you know, and I'm looking forward to it. So should I shoot? Yes, sir. Beautiful. Okay. So, uh, in, in the gold and uh, silver series, you, you, you mentioned that you're a student of wealth, you know, when I hear stuff like that, mm -hmm, student of wealth, you first said you're a student of war and you, <laughs> I have seen you fight wars. So when you said student of wealth, I, you know, I, I've seen you make moves that really confirms that, um, not only do you have a, a, a good grasp of wealth generation, you also have a grasp of wealth management. So the question is, what will you say um, is or has been your, your biggest lesson concerning wealth till date as a student of wealth? Biggest lesson? Biggest one. You know, I'm going for the juggle at no time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we should do this part. Okay. When you tell us the biggest one, maybe you also want to tell us the simplest one that people just underlook as well, overlook, you know, that can actually be life transforming. Okay. So um, the biggest thing or one of the big things, you know, I've not really um, taken the thought to, to like um, itemize it and, and say this is the biggest, but one of the big, one of the big things that, you know, come to mind um that i've learned about wealth is that wealth is truly a defense hmm. so every year if you ask me this question every year it may change because you know <laughs> it may change from year to year from season to season but one of the big things right now is, you know, when the Bible says that money is a defense, you know, mm. and, and you know, it's, it's big, you know, and it's one huge lesson, you know, that's a lesson that is playing out, that I've seen play out in, in my life in recent times. Is that Look, listen, you know, um, God actually expects you to, protect yourself and many times it requires wealth what mm. what will you use to put a fence around your house <laughs> wish is, wish is, wish is right now. <laughs> what yeah. would you what would you use to to buy um maybe um 
a a tracker on 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 your on your car, you know, to yeah. see when your children are being dropped off in school, the route the driver is taking, you know, it's it's it is what it is, you know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it is there's this video there's this video on, on going on online you know about uh no no um to uh no no before arsenal fans about uh the coach of arsenal being asked about all their losses and he said it is what it is <laughs> so you know, I mean, that's that's what I would say. Um, mm. It is what it is. It is mm. what it is. You know, um, uh, uh, the, to, to your second, to your follow-up question, mm. what I see that people um, under underestimate about about finances that is mm. that is big. That is um, that that is overly and easily overlooked is this. People usually overestimate what they can do with money in the short term and grossly underestimate what they can do with money for the long term. So let me give you an example. Take the concept of saving. People usually get discouraged about saving because ah, uh, uh, I want this amount of money to invest. I don't have this amount of money. If I'm saving this, what are these among so many? You know, so people overestimate their um, initial plan. And what they can do. Fact, some, some, some even get discouraged altogether. That's one. Two, some overpaint the picture of what can be achieved. And by that, they get discouraged. Then, secondly, would be when they save over a long period of time, people grossly underestimate how much can be saved. Classic example, I have someone that I mentor and, and I said to her, set up a savings plan. This is how much you earn. Begin to save this amount. You can afford to. Even the roof will not fall. Put it aside. Come rain, come shine. No, clearly, regardless of how much you earn, you can't save. If you are not saving, regardless, regardless of how much you earn, you are defying this principle. So she began to save. And a week ago, she says to me that she has close to 100K US dollars in savings. <laughs> so she says, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. <laughs> so that is an example, clear example. And I'm not talking about five years ago. I'm not talking about, I didn't tell her five years ago. I think it was even three years ago. 
Mm. Hmm. Teacher, teacher, what's the next level? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, beautiful. You know, I, I'm reminded of something. Uh, last year, you know, my wife usually would tell me we should, we have piggy banks, you know, put away, not just, just piggy banks, something that, you know, so, and I decided to do the piggy bank principle, you know, last year. And I was, I was shocked in uh, December when I broke piggy bank, you know, uh, everywhere nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. you know yeah so so we um, always we always underestimate what mm. we can what how much wealth and resources we can save or invest over time we always underestimate mm. it but mm. just stay consistent you'll be shocked yeah go ahead thank you so much for that sir okay um still waiting for questions to come in i'll ask my my second question um you said spiritually money is neutral. And um, I, I'm thinking by, by virtue of your position, you Can know. Can you say that again? You, you said spiritually money is neutral. You taught us spiritually, of course, money is neutral, and I totally agree. Did you get that, Pa? I got that. Spiritually money is neutral. You taught us. Go okay, ahead. beautiful. Okay, so uh by virtue of your position leading i mean a congregation with wealthy people you just told us about one of your um your daughters right um perhaps you can share one or two secrets of how you do not allow yourself get sucked into the negative aspects of the money game you know leading people right of course some people will, will come and try to be dazzled try to control try to influence you know what do you do to keep yourself neutral, if I can say that, in those in those situations? Because those are really, really dire situations. Okay. So I want to clarify, I mean, one or two things before I answer the question. So did you mean that I said that spiritually money is not neutral? It's not neutral. Pardon me. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> spiritually money is not neutral. That's what I think I said. And um, of, of course, physically money may be neutral, but spiritually, money is not neutral because yes. money, money first tries to influence you into a position. Okay, so mm -hmm. the second thing I, I want to clarify would be, so what your question is, is how have I, by the grace of God, stayed on course in spite yes. of um, um, people with financial resources that are engaged, that, that I lead, how do yes. I ensure that they do not hijack the the vision and Thank you. and stay off off in the, in the wrong direction? Yes. Okay. So that's the question. Okay. Perfect. So when God's favorite house started, like eleven years ago, I I sat down with one of my um, mentors um, at the time. Um, Craig Rochelle of Life Church, the TV. Now, one of the things that Pastor Craig said was when a church is just starting, there will be someone with very deep pocket mm. or a group of people with influence, financial influence, that we try and hijack the vision of the church. And 
I said to myself, I was listening, I listened to him, but I said to myself, well, I don't have, we don't have that kind of problems. <laughs> you know, our, our rich people, our wealthy people are, are spiritual, you know, they yes. don't even try to meddle with, uh, with those kind of things. But to my shock, less than three months after, you know, you know the story. I mean, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Mm. My mind has taken me there. Okay. just man gave us um, a large piece of land, you know, and and it was um, financially responsible for a few things. I mean, personally, I mean, he, he used to give me a lot of money personally, a whole lot of money. If I tell you how much he used to give consistently, you'd be surprised, you know, and he, he came to me, came to the house and said to me that, I, I preach too much of Jesus. <laughs> That's the summary of what he said. And I should tone Jesus down, you know. And my response is, was rather, was that if he told me to wear white shirts every Sunday, I would actually consider it. Because that's how that's how day it was to be. You know, if you told me, Pastor, I want to be wearing white shirts, you will just see me in church in white shirts every Sunday. You know why? I will be loyal to the white shirts. You know, a white trouser, a white trouser. <laughs> you know, you know, I would probably consider it. You know, but I said to him, that thing you are touching, eh? I don't even have a say in it. Mm. My grandmother says that it's the person that sends you on an errand that you are afraid mm. of. You should never be afraid of people that you are delivering the message to. Mm. That's, that's what she, she used to say. And that's, that's, that's so true. So I said to him that it's the one that has sent me that I am committed to. Mm. I will always preach Jesus excessively because mm. it's all about Jesus. Mm. And you know the story, he, he collected his land, <laughs> he stopped the, all the financial support, he, he pulled everything away. I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was responsible for over, you could say 80% of the church's income at the time. Mm. 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 So, I mean, for me, there's no, it was not, I didn't even struggle. There was no decision to be made. I made my decision years ago. <laughs> I made that decision years ago. So I just embraced it. I said, okay, fine. He that has called me will fund his work. And mm. 11 years going, we have a bigger uh, uh, piece of land in a better location. God has mm. done what only he can do and all that mm. and all that. You know, mm. so... So to your, the answer is to know the person that has called you and mm. to stay true to him. And after him, of course, even in recent times, we've had people of means. They disagree with me. They are not happy with me. They come and say, this is how you must discipline this person. This is how you must discipline that person. I say, sorry. Mm. The last time I checked, I'm accountable to, to Jesus. <laughs> Not to you. And they leave the church. Recently, mm. we have one the church, all of our pastors leave the church. People leave for all sorts of crazy reasons. Mm. 
we have to be true to the calling. We have to be true to the person who oh. called us. That's mm. how to do it. I don't know. That, that, that is, um, that that is big. <laughs> that is big, really, like you say. You know, and I'm, I'm listening, I'm thinking, this is, so, this is so key for those of us that are entrepreneurs and even for people that work, because when we learn, and which is a part that we've been going through as a church, talking about mountain of influence, when we learn that there's no separation, no divide really from the spiritual work and the secular, we, we kind of have this mindset that you had years ago knowing that your work, right, is God's assignment. So when someone comes in and tells you, bend the rules like this, you know, or do it this way, the fact that you know that you're accountable to the one that gave you that position would, I mean, help you not to, um, not to compromise, for lack of a, a better word. Because if your eyes were not on that, your, your eyes were not on that goal, you know, or that target, it would have been easy to just say, well, this guy has not told me not to um, preach again, Jesus. He's just saying, just uh, water it down a little bit. You know, get uh, uh, water it down. So you say Jesus and gay or Jesus and whatever it is he wanted you to put into the picture. And that that's really is big. So it's instructive to, for those of us that are in that space, that are working as entrepreneurs, to remember that we are accountable to the king, the, the greatest investor of the world, the greatest investor of the universe, and God will help us in Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. So still, there are no questions. You know what? I'm here now just thinking to myself, Paul, that if you were to ask me, remember, I'm your boy, eh? any yeah. question concerning this teaching, what would that have been, sir? Mm. I would say that while you will not pick 10K, mm. you will not really struggle yeah. with $10,000. Mm. What if you saw $5 million? Mm. $5 million. You look left to look right, no one is watching. So mm. how, would you, how would you respond to that? That's my question to you. Okay, pa. Um, honestly, um, I would say that's an easy one for me. And for yes, many sir. reasons that I think you know uh, already, for people watching, I'll be vulnerable. I once lived a fraudulent life. And as we know, a fraudulent life is just like picking money on the floor, right? And I walked away from that life because I wanted the one Amen. that, had, that <laughs> had all that, you know? Amen. I remember before the day i walked away from fraud that kind of life they were still calling me to say the ones that you have left is still here oh, come and collect i say take it oh. this thing has not given me joy oh. this thing gave me all i wanted but not all i needed oh. when i needed it the most it was not able to raise a voice and speak against judgment oh. and i lost big oh. not money I lost what I felt was most dear to me at the time, that money could not even buy back. So <laughs> that has taught me the greatest lesson in my life. So when I see people just go that way. So like I said, my greatest challenge is when I have those little foxes that, you know, and I have maybe I just, as I'm an entrepreneur, sometimes the client will just pay me 100K. 
And look at Jill Dog with you like this, and I'm saying, I have to do this thing. And little foxes are waiting. That's my. So maybe if you had asked me that, I felt. No, I, I deliberately asked you the big one so that yeah. people can be inspired by um, your response. And that has been the case. Mm. Thank you so much for that question. So in fact, it's a reminder. And for someone watching that, um, may your money not be corrosive in Jesus' name. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I saw wealth at a young age that if I equate to today's value, it's, uh, it could have done something, yeah? And um, the wealth became corrosive, you know? So uh, may wealth never be corrosive to us. Um, yeah. Jesus was teaching us that um, all wealth is in him, in that uh, Matthew 6. You know, the end of that scripture says that we sh it's, I mean, when we seek first God's kingdom, every other thing. So that, that is the real wealth, his kingdom. You know, thank you so much Pa, for that reminder. Yeah, yeah. so there's still no questions. I think we've done justice tonight. Um, okay, over to you, Pa. Okay, so um, thank you, Pastor Richard. Amazing. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, for Thrive today. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his Amen. face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift Amen. up his countenance upon you and give you peace Amen. every single day of your life. And so will it is and shall be in Amen. Jesus' mighty name. We have prayed. Amen. Amen. Okay, so God's favorite house, this uh, year of lifting, the last month in the year, you know, and we are lifted all the way. Nigo's wings. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.